I'd like to thank our new sponsor, Launchpad Kickoff Tee, for joining us here on the Armchair Coaching Podcast family. Coaches, are you looking for that competitive edge, but you might not be paying attention to the kickoff game? Well, this is the company for you. I'd like you to go check them out. I have one sitting right here in my hand. It's incredibly unique. It's got a very large surface area and incredibly flexible wings. And so what this does for you here, it gives you extreme flexibility with how you want to kick off. Do you want to use the patented forward lean? Well, if you don't know what that is, go ahead and check out their website. You can do just about anything you want. You can dial up different types of squib kicks just with the different angles. You can literally do just about anything with this. And the nice thing is they send you this piece of paper here that goes with diagrams that show you all the different angles and techniques that they've discovered so far. And they are incredibly helpful on their website. I highly recommend you check them out. If you're interested, do me a favor. I want you to go to launchpadkickofft.com slash ACP. Make sure you add the slash ACP. And if you're interested in buying one, if you go to this specific website, you can find the link, the, the link in the description below, you actually get a discount. You're going to get a 10% discount just from using the, the Armchair Coaching Podcast link. If you want to buy one, if you want to buy two, that's a savings of 25%. And if you buy three, you're actually going to get one for free. All right. So those are some huge deals that you're going to get there. So do us a huge favor, check out our sponsor at Launchpad Kickoff Tea. Make sure that you go to this specific site, launchpadkickofftea.com slash ACP. Launchpadkickofftea.com slash ACP. On the kickoff, it's not like all the other kickoff teas that you have. It's incredibly unique. All Armchair Coaching Podcast episodes have been edited by Coach James Heath. Follow Coach James Heath on Twitter at jrockfordheath. And if you are interested in starting your own podcast, contact Coach Heath, and he will help you get set up with everything that you need for podcasting. Thank you, Coach Heath. I couldn't do it without you, brother. Welcome back to the Armchair Coaching Podcast. I am your host, Coach Sheffer, and we have yet another great guest today. Today, we have Coach Matt Allen, who is the host of the Bigs Rule the World Offensive Line Play channel on YouTube and the offensive line and outside linebackers coach at Alta Vista High School here in Virginia. Coach, welcome into the podcast. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate being on. Awesome. Uh, so the first question is one that I ask every coach on here is, uh, for whatever reason, I'm really weirdly fascinated by every coach's story. I swear we all have our own coaching path. We all have our own journey. So basically, could you tell us and the listeners, how, like, how did you start off with football and how did you eventually get where you are today? All right. Well, my story with football is kind of what. Uh, long and winding for being a young guy. I'm only 29 years old. Um, one of the big things for me, <clears throat> when I was a kid growing up, I wanted to be a baseball player. You know, I'd practice every single day. I'd hit, I'd run, I'd throw. You know, I always tell my kids in my classroom, I tell them about, you know, going through practice and everything for baseball. And I said, you know, I would have been a major league baseball player if it wasn't just for one thing. They all look at me and they're very excited. What, what's that thing, Mr. Allen? What's that thing? 
talent. I didn't have any talent for the game of baseball whatsoever. I did all that practicing. Still couldn't hit worth a lick. Still couldn't throw. Still couldn't run. So, you know, how does that end up with me playing football? Well, I played football when I was in seventh grade just because we didn't have a fall baseball league and I needed something to do. I got in, I realized I was a lot better at football than I was at baseball. And I sort of grew and developed. And one of the things that um, really helped me as I was going along, I was a small offensive lineman. I was in ninth grade, I was 150 pounds. And I was playing uh, backside guard, pulling guard in an eye formation offense. Um, one of the things that helped me out was I was intelligent. I could learn where to go. I could learn, you know, the blocking and all the plays. And my head coach, a guy named Craig Gill, who um, made his hay coach in North Carolina and then coached 20 years at Buckingham High School, was one probably the best track coaches in the state of North Carolina and one of the best offensive line coaches in the state of North Carolina in the uh, 80s and 90s. And um, one of the things that just developed with me, I grew with him in the weight room and, you know, looked to him as a mentor and sort of as a second father and sort of saw the impact he had on my life. And I saw that and I wanted to do, do that type of thing. I wanted to model that type of thing for other kids. You know, I wanted to have a career where I could have um, a job that had an impact on people. And that's what I saw in Coach Gill, and I wanted to really push to be like him. You know, so because uh, I remember Coach Gill sitting me down when I was a sophomore and telling me, you know, if you gain 20 pounds, you'll be the starter. Well, I went out and gained 20 pounds. And I ended up um, my junior and senior year starting at center. And one of the things that helped me out there was I knew the position, left tackle through right tackle, what they needed to do on every play. And it just flowed easily for me. Um, fast forward, graduate high school. I still want to be a, I want, I know what I want to do. I want to be a college football coach. I want to go to college. I want to be big time. I want to be the head coach of the University of Notre Dame. Um, I was very fortunate. I was very good academically. And I got into Washington and Lee University up in Lexington. And I went there for my freshman season. And for those who don't know Washington and Lee University and don't know Buckingham County, there are probably two, couldn't be two more polar opposite cultures. I went from backwoods country to, you know, a very preppy, you know, very um, sophisticated, richer type college. But, you know, I still got guys who I think the world of from there. And I got to play under my offensive coordinator at the time, Scott Abel, made his hay. Uh, he's a head coach at Amherst High School, won two state championships, then pops over to Washington Lee as offensive coordinator, becomes the head coach there, and now he's the head coach at Davidson doing things they haven't seen in years. I mean, he's just completely transformed that football program, so I still take things that I saw in that one season with him as my offensive coordinator and apply them. Um, but getting back to Washington Lee, I played there in 2009, didn't enjoy my experience enough because I, you know, normal, typical freshman stuff, I was homesick. It was away from home. It was a different type of environment. I went from big fish on campus to little fish. And, you know, I said, well, I'm going to transfer back closer to home. I'm going to transfer back closer to home. So I transferred to Hampton Sydney College, which was about 30 minutes from Buckingham County High School. Um, and I actually was laughing about this today. I want to say I was one of the first professional athletes at the Division Three level because 
when I transferred back to Hampton, Sydney, I thought about playing. I had messed up my knee in high school and was still suffering the effects of that in college. I was still very undersized at the time. I was maybe a 230-pound offensive lineman trying to play Division three football. Even then, I was still tiny. Um, and I remember my mom sat me down and goes, okay, Matt, um, here's the deal. If you go and play, you got two options here because I had an option I could either play or I could help out the team do film sort of shadow to be a coach. She goes, okay, you can play. But if you play, I think you need to take out an extra $5,000 a year in loans, you know, just to show us that you're invested in your education. I said, so what if I don't play? Well, if you don't play, you don't need to take out the loan. I said, so you're paying me not to play. She said, I never said that. I said, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. So I take that down as I was a professional athlete. I just got paid not to, not to touch the field. Um, but it actually ended up being a great experience. So that summer I get on at, a, at 18 years old, I get on one of my old high school coaches was an assistant coach, um, for a semi-pro team in town. So I get on and I start helping them with the offensive line and start learning coaching. Very wild experience coaching semi-pro football. I mean, I think our first game, we roll up there in different cars and I had an offensive lineman who was 30 years old, never played football before. And when I pull up for our game, he's sitting in full pads smoking a cigarette. Just one of the weirdest, weirdest experiences ever. Um, we go from there, and I'm still all set. This is fall of 2010. I'm going to help out Hampton Sydney in the fall. And head coach, Coach Gill, comes and asks me, do I want to help out Buckingham? Well, I'd already committed to Hampton, Sydney, but the opportunity to help out Buckingham was, you know, something I didn't want to pass up. So for 2010, 2011, and 2012, I'd do the crazy thing. It got – 2012 was probably the craziest year, but I would do a crazy thing where I would go – I started being the JB defensive coordinator and helping out the JB team a lot. I would go and I would make the front half of practice. We would structure our practices to put the front half – at Buckingham, we would get the front half done with defense and anything that I really needed to be there for. And then on Mondays at Hampton, Sydney, they didn't need me. So Mondays, I was there the whole day. But Tuesday and Wednesday, they need me to film practice, help out with practice. So I'd get in my car. I'd hop back after leaving college and coming down to practice. I'd hop in my car at 4.15, 4.30 and take off and get back to Hampton, Sydney by 5 and just haul my ass up to the tower and get to filming. You know, somebody set that sucker up, I'll be there. And I did that for two years, just running back and forth, back and forth. But it was amazing. I look back at those two years, and, man, I had a blast. Um, I enjoyed coaching JB football at Buckingham. I enjoyed working at Hampton, Sydney. Hampton, Sydney afforded me some of the best experiences in my life football-wise and some of the best friends. I got to learn from head coach Marty Fabret, uh, defensive coordinator Wes Dodson, some great guys who are still at Hampton, Sydney. And I'm forever grateful for that experience. I got my one championship ring. The Tigers won um, the 2011 ODAC title. I laugh. I tell people. So W&L and Ham Washington Lee and Hampton Sydney both play in the ODAC conference, which is a little conference made up of small schools in the state of Virginia. And 2009, when I'm playing for W&L, they go three and seven. Hampton Sydney goes ten and zero. So I think I'm getting off the dinghy and hopping into the yacht. Well, we turn around in 2010, WNL wins the conference. 
And then for the next three years, for 10, 11, and 12, W&L and Hampton Sydney played each other in the comp for the conference championship. Hampton Sydney won in 11, and W&L won in 10 and 12. So just very, very competitive, kind of wild to see the guys who I got recruited in with and see them, turn, you know, sort of help turn that football program back around. I mentioned the leadership of Scott Abel and what he did at W&L had a big influence. of leadership of Marty Favret at Hampton Sydney had a big influence. Um, but I graduated Hampton Sydney in 2012. Need a job. I'm de uh, it's December 2012. I need a job. Got lucky. Buckingham had a history position open. Hampton Sydney, I hadn't even taken a teaching class yet. So I was able to get on as a provisional teacher with my coaching record and everything and started coaching and teaching. And I'd look back at football, Stoop, because I told you I wanted to be a college coach. I looked back at football, Stoop, all these times or, you know, job where you could go and coach for $2,000 and maybe get a room. You know, I could fly across the country to this job. And I was like, well, you know what? I, I like what I'm doing. I like what I'm doing. So I started teaching there December of 2012 and got to teach and coach there through the end of 2016. And great experience. We had a great staff there. Um, Buckingham, I think we had a staff of seven guys. And I think if you look at it right now, we had our head coach. Um, the defensive coordinator is now the head coach at Buckingham. Um, I became the head coach at Chatham High School. I'll get to that in a second. Our offensive coordinator um, ended up being a like a 5A, off 5A defensive coordinator a couple years later. Um, our linebackers coach is now the head basketball coach. Our head JV coach could easily be a head coach anywhere. He's now the offensive coordinator at Buckingham. So we had like six guys on a staff of seven who legit could have been head coaches. And, you know, looking back on it now after being on more staffs, it's very unreal to have that much depth on a high school staff, especially at the 2A level. Um, but we had great times there, great experience at Buckingham, great experience being at my home high school. And then um, it was actually fun. I got – I interviewed at Chatham High School when I was just 24 years old. You know, I like to tell people all the time, you know, I think I was a little punkish. You know, I think I had a big 300-page binder – um, you know, with what I was going to do at Chatham High School, you know, without really doing enough research on the place. And I had interviewed at, I'd interviewed at the age of 23, thought, thought I had a job and didn't get it. And then I interviewed at the age of 24, and I'm very blessed. I get the head coaching job at Chatham High School. And I come down to Chatham, and I tell you what, man, everything you could think about for, like, how to build a program up from the ground up. Um, the previous coaching staff before us was trying to do it, and they were doing, you know, I thought they were doing a good job. They ran into a little rough senior class there at the end. But, you know, we get there, and I go, okay, where are our coaching offices? We don't have any, okay? Where's our locker room? Our locker room was this boiler room for the school. Like, literally, there's, like, valves and crap that we can't flip because it de deals with the heating. And air. Okay, where's the nearest bathroom for the kids in the locker room? We got to walk back, back around and get through the building. And just crazy stuff like that. Um, that's the school I was hired in. Okay. I go from Buckingham. We didn't really have a budget. You know, we just, if we needed something, we asked for it. Chatham, they tell me, okay, you have to raise your money. You know, we'll pay for your helmets. 
we'll pay for your reconditioning. We'll give you a little bit of money for equipment each year, but you raise the majority of your funds. I said, okay, how much do we have in the bank? $300. I said, okay, I guess we're going to get fundraising. So, I mean, you know, just trial by fire. And, you know, I'm having to figure all that out. Uh, 2016 was wild because that's, you know, I was the youngest head coach in the state of Virginia. I get hired. I go into the Dogwood District. Uh, the Dogwood District is probably the toughest district for 1A, 2A high school football in the state. Um, if you look around at the teams, Alta Vista is there. Alta Vista has three state titles and has a kid running around, and a young man, Juan Thornhill, playing for the Kansas City Chiefs right now with a Super Bowl ring. Um, Gretna High School. Famous high school, probably had the best quarterback that's come out of Virginia. Well, most prolific high school quarterback stat-wise, it's come out of Virginia and Vic Hall. And they've won a number of state titles in the 2000s. You got Dan River High School, who at the time was coached by NFL got NFL former NFL player Farrell Edmonds, and his three sons are now playing in the NFL. Um, they had played it, they had played just before I got to the Dogwood District. Then if you go up a little bit, you'll have William Campbell High School has a couple state titles, a couple former NFL players. And then currently probably the biggest um, dynasty as far as 1A, 2A football goes around in the state of Virginia, Appomattox High School, um, has a couple guys playing on Saturdays right now. I think they could have one playing on Sundays. And they've won four of the last five 2A state championships. So that's what I got to walk into. And it's just – you know, trial by fire right away. And it was just, it was a fun ride at Chatham. And four years there, we started out, you know, I had to really learn how to be a coach again because the only coach that I'd seen at a high school level was the guy who coached me. So I'd seen it done one way for so long. And I was used to, um, you know, I mean, we grinded with Coach Dill, man. We would go nine to five on coaches' meetings on Sundays. And I get to chat them and, you know, a lot of inherited staff. And, like, at the two-hour mark, they start getting antsy. Like, oh, it's time to go, coach, time to go. I'm like, okay, well, this is different. Got to learn to adjust. You know, I had to learn to adjust with, you know, just different types of kids. Buckingham kids were built huge. I got to chat them. We'd never power cleaned before. I said, oh, no, we're going to have to. We're going to have to figure some stuff out. We got to Chatham, our top squatter my first year, I think, maxed at 315. I was like, okay, we're going to have to learn something because at Buckingham we had basically patented the art of bully ball and just running the ball down people's throats. You know, I think I could roll off four straight all-state running backs we had during my six years there. Just crazy numbers and just huge offensive linemen. I mean, one year at the 2A level, our smallest offensive lineman was 280. I get to chat them, and I'm trying out, like, former running backs at left tackle just because they're strong. And, you know, it it was definitely an adjustment. That first year in 16, I was a defensive coach. Um, the highlight being um, – so I talked about how Coach Deal had a big impact on my life. Um, one of the big things with Coach was 13, 14, and 15, his last three years at Buckingham, he had to do that fighting stage four cancer. And that was, a, that was a wild time being an assistant on that staff with him. Uh, 13, we went all the way to the state semifinals when he first got it, stage four lung cancer. Um, 14, well, we had a good team, but 15, we had an even better team. We went nine and one, really gave it a run for the money. Um, he ends up retiring 
probably like a month before I leave for Chatham, two or three months after I'd gotten the job. Um, and then Coach Gill passed away in June, July of 2016, so right before the season started. Well, you know, craziness of my first game at Chatham, first game as a head football coach, um, my first game is at Buckingham. Just, you know, so you're going back to your home high school. Um, it was the night that they honored him at halftime. And, you know, it was just a wild scene. And I'd never felt so much pressure, so much emotion going into a game before. And we were able to um, – Buckingham, perennial playoff team, Chatham, not very perennial anything. You know, at that point we had made the playoffs three times in, I think, 65 years of football. And we were able to pull out a 28-24 victory. And we won the game. And I tell you what, man, the idea of being a punk young coach who thinks he knows everything, I thought I knew everything at that point. And then you hit the wall. And we went through a three and seven season. And the first three years, first two years of Chatham was really trying to get our traction. We went three and seven both years. Um, but the main things that we built up on, we started to get more kids involved in the weight program. We started to get fundraising went up. Better equipment came in. Um, we started to build ground on a new weight room, locker room to get them out of the dump what I call the dungeon, the little boiler room. Um, 2019, 2018, big transition year for us. We transitioned to the air raid offense. We transitioned to a new defensive coordinator. I'm coaching the offense now. Um, I've took, taken over the offense in 2017. Now in 18, we have our offensive vision. And we just went through a rough transition year. Uh, we ended up going one and nine, but it was a fun group. It was one of the most fun groups I've ever coached. And we went one and nine, but we battled, and we hung in there, and we battled hard. We had a kid who led the region in passing. Uh, he ended up – I never thought I'd have a kid throw for 1,900 yards. We had a kid throw for 1,900 yards. I never thought I'd – we had a receiver, I think, about led the state in receiving on a one and nine team. He caught 1,100 – caught 59 passes for 1,100 yards. I'm this big offensive line guy. I like to run the ball and pound the rock a bit here, and we're doing this. I was like, okay. Got, nice that we got these numbers, but we got to make adjustments for 2019. So we come into 2019, we're not expected to do jack. I mean, we're not, you know, we're coming off a one and nine season. Only thing we were good for was throwing the ball around. And uh, things just clicked, man. We had – we combined in, and I talked about it in my first video on the YouTube channel, we combined in the way we run inside zone is kind of like beer blocking, where we leave play side end unblocked. And we combined that with running the G scheme or the power scheme that I got from Buckingham. And we just took off with it. We went from rushing for 700 yards as a team in 2018 to 2,200 yards as a team in 2019. So we more than tripled our rushing output. Uh, we had a kid who we took from offensive line and put him back at tailback, and he just hammered that A-gap on our inside zone play. We started running RPOs. We started mixing stuff in, and we mixed in the power run game with the air raid passing game. Um, so what happens, we end up going six and four. We make the playoffs. It's the fourth time in school history, 14th winning season in school history. Um, I'm – just amazing turnaround for a bunch of kids. I mean, we battled hard. Our quarterback, I told you, led the region in passing the year before. He actually, like, sprained his AC joint midway through the season. 
we won a ball game where he went 0 of 6 passing. And we just had to adjust and just run it differently and run stuff differently. Um, we swept, we beat Alta Vista High School actually for the first time since 2007. Uh, beat Martinsville High School for the first, second time in school history, first time since 1992. Just all these firsts in school history. Had two guys who uh, were on the state all star team, and that being a uh, first time in 15 years for Chatham High School. Just a lot of firsts. Um, and then, man, right before COVID hit, just sort of how things go. The administration that I had at Chatham that brought me in was completely different than the administration that I had there um, by the time I left. Just, you know, all new principals, all new AD. Um, they, uh, you know, from the six and four season, I did all of this, not to toot my own horn here, but I did all this and this is sort of a warning to coaches about certain stuff you need to ask for before you become a head coach. I did all this being a guy who uh, I was at the middle school every day. So I'd have to drive over every single day for practice. And then, you know, so a lot of disconnect there with me and my administration. And then it was kind of wild. I got called in March 12th. I know we were going through crazy stuff, trying to get a schedule together and everything. This is back before COVID. I get called in on March 12th. And uh, the AD knew at the time, AD had met with me like three times the previous year. And we're putting together a historic season for our school. And he calls me and, hey, we're going to go a different direction. I was like, what? It's just sort of a blindside moment. I was like, okay, whatever. And, you know, uh, you know, I moved on from there. I got very fortunate um, from that. From The body work that we had at Chatham was good enough. Um, after that happened, I got a lot of calls about being an assistant coach. Um, my son is actually down here in Danville, Chatham area. So that's, I wanted to stay local. I wanted to make sure I could see him. So that's when Alta Vista called, I'd become friends with their head coach, Andy Cox. And it's actually funny. Um, Andy was the offensive line coach at Appomattox High School when they won three state championships in a row. And if you turned on film from those Appomattox teams, all you would see is this blue or this white wave, depending on what color they were wearing, just rolling off the ball. And this that's the first thing you'd notice on film. They'd have athletes all over the place, but the first thing I'd notice when I cut on the film, just this offensive line that rolls off the ball and gets on people. And, like, you could put anybody back there. This offensive line is that good. And they weren't built with, like, Division One talent, but they had just – a well-coached unit. So Andy, who's a friend of mine, calls me up and, you know, we get to talking and, you know, he lets me come in to coach offensive line. And, you know, for me, that's an exciting thing. Andy kind of challenged me. You know, he said, I went from JV coach to a head varsity coach. He said, so you've never really coached football before. I said, what? What do you mean by that, man? Come on now. I got, it got me a little pissed off. He said, no. You've never really sat down and had to be – that's your job is to be the coach of your position group. So that motivates me when a guy who I thought was the best offensive line coach in the state is telling me, hey, here are the keys to the offensive line. Let's see if you're actually worth a shit as a coach, you know. And so that's where I'm at now. I enjoy it. Um, we're having fun in Alta Vista. Um, I get to coach the offensive linemen and the outside linebackers, and, you know, I tell – I was telling my brother the other day, I said, it's an amazing feeling going from worrying about, 
you know, new locker room, new jerseys, fundraising, who's going to cook the team meal on Friday too. I'm focused on where our first step is for out inside zone. You know, is our first step good enough on inside zone? So I'm having fun with the man. I know that's a long story. That's a long roundabout story, but that's my coaching story in a nutshell. Hey, that's a great story, coach. And um, I will have to admit a lot of our, uh, a lot of your story kind of parallels with a lot of my story. Uh, I'm 28. (laughs) This episode is brought to you in part by Second Skull. Second Skull is a protective headgear company focused on helping to keep athletes safe and to help keep athletes on the field participating in the sports that they love. Their products are patented, tested, and proven to reduce direct and rotational impacts to the head. Their technology is trusted by several athletic organizations and the United States military. Their pro cap is designed with the grant from the National Football League. This protective skull cap is the ultimate in thin, lightweight, and breathable protection. The pro cap is comparable to other skull caps that do not offer such protection, measuring at just two millimeters thick and weighing less than 2.4 ounces. The pro cap improves protection for all players when worn under their helmet and is perfect for football, baseball, hockey, and lacrosse. Their pro band is designed in collaboration with professional players and clubs in Spain. This protective headband provides superior protection with an aesthetic and athletic look. The pro band has a unique five panel construction with a reinforced forehead panel to deliver a natural feel and ultimate ball control at just four millimeters thick and a weight of 1.4 ounces. The pro band provides protection for all players in non-helmeted sports and activities and is ideal for soccer athletes. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can go to secondskull.com and save 20% on any products purchased from that website with the discount code armchair. That's A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R in all caps. And I know exactly what schools you're talking about, Washington, Lee, and Hampton, Sydney, because I went to Bridgewater College. So we were opponents. Uh, I was there my freshman year was 2010. Mm -hmm. And um, Bridgewater went eight and two. Do you want to know who the two teams we lost to were? WNL and Hampton Sydney. WNL and Hampton Sydney. And I will never forget WNL coming off the bus because it was a home game for us. And every single one of them had the exact same tie, the exact same suit jacket, the exact same shoes, everything. And I'm just like, good Lord. Because <laughs> I had never come from that. I came from huh. around the Harrisonburg area, like kind of like you said, a little bit of backwoods. Uh, I wasn't used to that. So that was a – New experience for me. So, 2010, were you at WNL or or? Hampton I was at Sydney? Hampton Sydney by yeah. then. So, um, we had a heck of a game. I think that might have been at your place that year in 2010. Mm-hmm. It was pretty close. It was close. I remember that. Um, we had a guy at quarterback at Hampton Sydney by the name of Travis Lane. Okay, yeah. And he he had real he had he was really good talent. Uh, but he had some good games at Bridgewater. Marty Favre would always get hyped up for the Bridgewater game because when Bridgewater and Hampton Sydney played back in the early 2000s, that was like always for the ODAC. Yep, that was uh, Hampton Sydney was the one that our coach always got uh, hyped up for. And at that year, I was you know quote redshirted because I had a pretty bad knee injury in my high school senior year, and mm-hmm. I was still recovering. And so I was doing the film. Just kind of, you know, you know, I'm telling you like a lot. This is funny, man. So we might've actually been next to each other in a film booth and just not known it. Exactly. That's, that's what I was thinking while you were telling your story. I was like, our paths may have crossed at some point. (laughs) Um, And then uh, you mentioned being a JV coach. I was the freshman head coach at a high school up here in Northern Virginia. 
my second year coaching ever. I was the freshman head coach. Talk about an experience there. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, That's wild. And then I, and then I went from being from doing that to moving to a different school, becoming a position coach. And like you just said, I felt like I had never coached football before. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it's it's completely different thing coaching a lower level team because mm-hmm. I went lower level to head varsity, which was a weird jump. But then coming from head varsity back to just being a position coach, man, you can be like a you can become an expert in your one position. But you need to be an expert in that one position mm-hmm. if you really want to take it seriously. Yeah, and uh, I had always seen myself as an offensive guy. You know, I played offense and defense, but I, I always wanted to coach offense, right, because I thought I was an offensive guru. And so when I got to the school that I'm at now, the head coach was like, yeah, you're going to be the linebacker's coach. I'm like, wait, what? Because <laughs> yeah. I had never done it before, right? So I had to learn a completely new system, a new, uh, learn a completely new uh, – position I had never played linebacker I was always a defensive lineman Mm -hmm. so I had to learn everything new become a become an expert all of that and I think that helped me become better oh yeah as an offensive line coach too because now I know the process plus Mm -hmm. I played o-line so I know a little bit (laughs) oh I I agree with that completely I actually when I was coaching JV and I was defensive coordinator I never got to play defense for Buckingham County High School and varsity level Mm-hmm. I'd always been an offensive lineman. They just, you know, when we got a new JV coach in, he said, okay, I'm going to take the offense, you take the defense. I was like, all right. And then I coached from 11 through 16, I was defensive coach. Coached linebackers, coached defensive ends, coached all that. And then when I transitioned back to offense, I always tell people the transition going from defense back to offense is so much easier. It just makes everything you understand the thought process about each side of the ball now. Yeah, and I worked closely with our head coach, who is the defensive coordinator, for two years straight, learning of the defense, learning how a defensive coordinator thinks and prepares for a game, uh, learning all the different coverages, all the different fronts. And now as an offensive line coach, I can take that knowledge I learned as a linebacker's coach and apply it to offensive line, just like you were saying. Uh, so it makes us better coaches. And that's one thing that I always tell other coaches if they ask me, well, what, what would you, uh, what tips would you give me? I say, go coach defense. You oh, know, yeah. Like everybody wants to be offense, go coach defense for a couple of years. You'll learn way more <laughs> than you will be coaching offense. That's what I always, it was wild. Um, the defensive coordinator I worked under Buckingham, a guy named Seth Wilkerson, who's the head coach there now. It was wild seeing the preparation of him compared to the offensive coordinator. We'd walk in on Sundays. Our offensive coordinator was like a computer. He had every way you were going to block everything. And uh, defensive coordinator Seth, he would just sit there and he would stress over every single play, every single detail about every formation. It was just very detail-oriented process. Mm -hmm. I thought I got to learn a lot of football and just sort of soak it up from him and watching his prep. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to move on to the next question. This is going to be more um, like what's going on with COVID and everything here in Virginia. So for the listeners who may or may not know, um, Virginia is one of the states that we don't have football going on in the fall. Uh, at the moment, the plan is the VHSL, uh, the governing body of all uh, state athletics at the moment, it could change with all the new crap that's coming out. Um, at the moment, we're supposed to start in February, supposed to first practice in February. And then I think our first game is like February 27th or so, at least ours is here in uh, Northern Virginia. Yeah, 
Ours is like on Monday in early in late February. Yeah. yeah. Um, but here in Northern Virginia, at least in our county, uh, there are different restrictions. There's different restrictions in different counties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now, the only thing that we're able to do in our county is body weight workouts. We can't have balls. We can't have bags. We can't be in the weight room. We can't do any of that. And one of our coaches actually tested positive uh, a week ago, and we're all still technically we're all still quarantined, right? Even though we were doing the pod system where you know only their pod was supposed to, it's all kind of screwy right now. But we're not doing anything basically. Like we're just hoping to get in the weight room some point. Uh, But you mentioned that you were actually having practice today or. So, like, what are some of the restrictions that you guys are dealing with in your area? And, and just so the listeners know, I looked this up. Alta Vista High School and Brentsville High School are three hours apart. We're nowhere close to each other. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're closer to the border with North Carolina. We're closer to D.C. Um, Virginia is kind of a big state. It's not nowhere near as big as Texas, but it's a big state. Yeah. Um, so what are like what are the restrictions that you guys are dealing with right now where you're at? Like could you detail that? What what are you able to do, what you're not able to do? And then also what are your thoughts on how this whole situation's been handled by, you know, schools and VHSL? Oh man, you're gonna get me started on that one. <laughs> uh, so First off, what we can do compared to um, what other schools can do, it's actually interesting. So I still teach where, um, I still teach at a middle school in Pennsylvania County, which is right next to Alta Vista and Campbell County. And uh, Pennsylvania County, where Chatham was located and a couple other schools, their rules have been fairly strict. You know, when we were all online, no workouts. When we had people coming back in, we could have workouts. Um, what I've gathered from talking with kids and with parents is you've got the pod system. Um, the kids are chatting. were telling me you have to wear gloves to go in the weight room. You have to wear a mask while you work out. You have to, you know, space it out into the pods, all that stuff. They can do some bag work at Alta Vista. It's nice. We've been able to do, um, we started out with the pods early on and just focusing on strength and conditioning. We didn't have to make kids wear masks, but we had to be masked up. We got to screen them in, do all that type of stuff. Um, They got to have special paperwork on file that basically waves wrists and all this good stuff. Um, And we did that from late July, I think, till school started. And then when school started, we were given the permission to do more sports-specific stuff. So we can get out there in our deep, in our little groups based on position groups because we're still a small high school. We're a 1A school. Um, so when I say we're rolling out with practice, you know, between all the different groups that were broken up, we may have had 28 kids out there. But, you know, last year Alta Vista had 30 kids on their varsity football team, and that was it. So we're still working on that. Um, but we're able to do skill-specific stuff. So I'm able to work with the offensive line going through plays, and stuff like that, and we're able to sit down when we can take our group in and watch film and get our workout done and stuff like that. Um, that stuff's enjoyable. Um, what's going to be weird for us coming up, talking about restrictions, since we're a small high school, we have to adjust to sharing athletes. And um, one of the things that I don't, I think the 
the uh, states that played football in the fall don't have to experience is you're going to have to share the athlete thing. It's going to be crazy. Right now in the state of Virginia, if you look at it, um, our first practice day is 18 days before the first game day. And the minimum practice requirement is 15. And add this on top of it, when we start football, basketball will just be starting their playoffs. So if I got kids, normally in a normal year, when football goes first, we never have to worry about sharing our kids. So it's cool. Um, normally the basketball team, uh, at least in previous spots, I've seen the basketball team will postpone their early season games if the football team has a good run. That way they can get their, ba their basketball kids off the football team. Here, I don't think you have that option. I think it's going to be slammed back to back to back. I mean, our first week of the season, because um, they're getting six games in and a bye week within a six-week schedule. So our first game is on a Monday, and then we're going to turn around and play on a Saturday morning too. Now, I told you we got 18 days counting Saturdays and Sundays to get that minimum 15 practices in. So I think you're going to have to figure out how do I get practices in for kids who are playing basketball. If basketball has a good run, what happens? Um, for us at the 1A, 2A level, you're going to have to figure out how to share athletes. One of the things I'd be worried about right now if I was at Chatham, um, Chatham High School was the 2019 state baseball champions. You know, Chatham, big baseball school. One of the things that people always, when I talk to them, uh, when I talk to people about my time at Chatham, one of the things that people always point out, well, Coach, you got baseball players to play for you. I go, yeah, because I didn't take away from their baseball time. You know, I didn't tell them, oh, you you can't play foot, you know, you can't play baseball and football. No, I figured out a way around it. We figured out, okay, when you're conditioned for baseball, cool. You know, we'll we'll make it work because we have, you know, but Chatham's had some legit baseball players come through there. And, you know, has some legit athletes playing baseball. And now baseball's gonna start and football's not over with. And that's just a very weird system to work around. Um my thoughts on the whole system as a whole, I wish everybody could figure out what they're doing. You know, I wish some of these, I wish we could have, um, I'm not in favor of big government, you know, big decree across the whole state, but I think the equity on stuff is going to be ridiculous this year. I just told you, we just told you our two different situations. And, that, and you know, teams like that are going to have to play against one another. And that's just, to me, that's not right. Um, I talked to my buddies back at Buckingham High School. Buckingham is still all virtual. They, um, they just canceled winter sports. You have a couple of little county school systems canceling winter sports and saying they're not going to play winter sports because they're not planning on going back in person until second semester in January and basketball starts in December. Um, so you're going to have to play team. You're going to have teams that have been practicing and meeting and doing all this stuff since July. And they're going to play teams who some may not may get to see their kids for the first time in January. And then you're going to expect them to turn around in February and be ready to go. To me, there's an issue of equity there. Um, I just think, you know, we should have had something a little bit more universal. It's very weird to me to, you know, I talked with my ex-wife. She teaches in North Carolina. They're shut down, but we're not. I'm like, okay, our number's high, you know. It's just very weird to deal with there, and it's very weird that we don't have a un universal decision 
across the state, especially with sports. Like, you know, I'd be a lot cooler if we went ahead and made that universal call on how, this is how workouts should look like. This is what you're allowed to do. But, you know, I think the BHSL, the governor bo- governing body, and the governor have sort of let the counties make the decisions. Um, now, if you had let the counties make the decisions when we closed school, I think you would have seen something completely different. Because we closed school. I told you about getting let go on March 12th. We got – we closed down on March 13th. So that was kind of crazy. I, I took the day off for a personal day after what happened on March 12th. March 13th, I get a call, we're out for two weeks, and that was the last time we went to school. Um, you know, but we didn't get COVID down here. I think the first cases didn't come to, like, early June, the first, like, confirmed cases. But up near where y'all are, had cases. So, you know, just different things. And if you go out to southwest, far southwest Virginia, they didn't see COVID for a long time, and now they're seeing their numbers jump. You know, Virginia, like you said, it's a big state, but it's not like Texas, but you've just seen how it's spread different, differently throughout the state. So I can see why you're letting individual school districts make decisions there. But it's really by the time we come down to play sports this year, equity-wise, you're throwing it all out the door. Yeah, and I get that. And um, I was freaking out personally when it all started, when schools started closing down and we were all trying to decide – uh, so before the VHSL came out and said, okay, here's the plan. We're going to do sports, you know, you know, fall sports are going to start in February. Mm-hmm. Before that came out, I think the original plan was the governor was going to let every county decide whether or not they were going to play sports. Mm-hmm. And I, we, we were freaking out because Brentsville District High School, we are a 3A school of about 1,000 students in our county. We are the smallest school in our county. Every other school in our county is a 6A school, the highest level in Virginia. Mm-hmm. If they had allowed, if, if that was the original plan, they stuck with it, and every county had decided on what they were going to do, all of our opponents are in different counties, then we would have had to have a schedule where we played only 6A schools Yeah, uh, in our county, which would not have been very good for us. Um, but now the VHSL decision has helped us in that rule. But mm-hmm. the problem is now it comes down to the counties to decide, well, what are these teams allowed to do in the meantime? Oh, yeah. Because we've got opponents on our schedule who are already out there lifting weights, who are already out there in helmets and doing stuff. And we literally just got kicked off of our field because one coach had COVID and now we're not back yet. And we, and we only were able to do bodyweight workouts. So we're, we're, we're a little frustrated here in our county, at least. I can understand being frustrated there because I think at the end of the day that people who are going to get hurt from that are the kids Yep. when it comes down to competition time. And I think that's probably what I've been most upset about. Um, originally, I think we were sort of in the state of Virginia, we were sold the magic beans that we were doing the right thing. And more states would, you know, drop like we did. You know, these states right. who were going out and playing football, they're going to have to drop. And it just didn't happen that way. You know, I think you, you had states like Michigan and others actually turn around and reverse their decisions. That's one I've floated to our head coach and our coaching staff before. So what do we do if uh, the governor comes out and says play football in two weeks? Like, I think Michigan did that. I think we lose our mind. Right. 
yeah, there's there's no way we'd be able to do that. Like looking at the kids who are coming out for body weight workouts, that we're not in shape, we're not ready. There's yeah. no way. Uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that Virginia has a plan. Like now we can plan for it. I'm just why can't our county get on board with the workout system and. I, you know, I'm sure every coach has gripes about something similar. Oh, yeah. And if Virginia was very weird because they were like the second state that said they weren't going to play football in the fall. Mm-hmm. And then if you remember right, they came up with like those three plans a week before we a week before they voted on it. Just so you could voice your opinion to your AD and like one of the plans just for guys in different states. The plan we voted on obviously pushed all of our um, – Seasons back where we go winter, fall, then spring, and we're short, we're shortened, we're abbreviated. We're going to play six game, a championship plus one is what the BHSL is calling it. If you you play your six games, if you don't make the playoffs, then you can play a seventh bowl game at the end of the season. Um, normal sports like uh, basketball, baseball are going to play sixty percent of their schedule, so about twelve games. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the option that we voted for. The other two options that were kind of crazy, first one was cancel fall sports completely, which every football coach in the state kind of puckered up and was like, oh, that better not be a real option. Um, And then the second one was flip fall and spring, thinking that spring sports were more apt to uh, be socially distanced, I guess, was the idea with baseball and everything, but they would cancel lacrosse season. But then there was a weird thing was lacrosse, was too contacty, but soccer wasn't. It's just very weird talking to different people, what they saw with the different plans. So I think we picked the right plan mm-hmm. out of those three just to give each kid their proper season, a proper season. Um, but I do think we jumped the gun early. I would have rather seen us try to get something in this fall. Because um, now the other thing I didn't mention you're going to have to go through with playing a spring season then a fall season is um, – we're going to turn around. This is what I tell our guys. I said, we got to get our kids ready for like a sprint because, you know, all of our juniors, don't think about seniors right now, all of our juniors and below are going to play in February, play a full, play a six, seven game season in February. Then we're going to ride that right into summer conditioning. And then we're going to ideally ride that into a true fall season in 2021. And I'm like, that's going to be kind of wild. You're going to have some people, you know, if you end up playing the state champion, let's say you go to the state championship in both levels. That means between the end of February and early December, you're going to end up putting on your body, say 10 games in the spring, 15 games in the fall, two scrimmages. Um, So you're going to put on your body 27 scrimmages or games Mm -hmm. within a smaller, within like a 10 month window. And that's kind of wild to think about. And you're also thinking about when we go in in February, I've talked about this too. Right now we aren't scrimmaging anybody because we only have uh, 18 days to get 15 practices in and then you go. You know, usually around here you get two scrimmages before you get going and popping. And uh, that's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just mentioned scrimmages. I'm, I'm wondering about – what are the things that are going to change from here on out? You know, oh, yeah. are we, are we ever going to get scrimmages again? You know, that's, a, that's a thing that may change. You never know. Um, I'm, I'm worried about changes to, uh, 
teaching because I'm, I'm teaching virtually right now. Mm-hmm. So in the future, our kids, even when COVID's not a thing anymore, are kids going to have an option to go virtual now? You know, is that going to stay around or are they going to try to force everybody to go school, back to school normally? Who knows? So there's a lot of changes that might happen with all this. I've talked with friends in IT before and thrown that one out there. I said, you know, basically what we're presenting our kids with, because we're back in person, hybrid schedule where they come two days a week now. I said, you're giving kids whose parents don't feel comfortable sending them to school an option. I was like, you can't just take that option away after this year. You're going to have to leave that option there. Um, and then, but I think there are the one, the couple positives um, that I saw that I kind of found interesting after I got out of it was like, when I started to learn what Google Classroom was, I was like, okay, I can use this for football. Mm-hmm. This could be cool. When I saw what Zoom was and how, you know, you can work through this, man. I think back to Zoom and think, I was up at the high, I'd have to drive to the high school and do coaches meetings from nine to five. And we could have just zoomed in. We could have done our work and zoomed in, and, you know, just yeah. different stuff. It's stuff. If I was a head, if I had still been the head coach at Chatham, I would have definitely tried some Google classroom, tried some zooming in stuff. It's stuff. I want to try it out to Vista is uh, get a Google classroom going with uh, offensive line, mm-hmm. different stuff like that. So there are, are some positives. I am with you about being worried about what all is going to change. Yeah, definitely. Now, we talked a little bit about some technology stuff there. Let's move on to your YouTube channel, The Bigs Rule the World. This episode is brought to you in part by High and Tight Footballs. High and Tight Footballs are the world's only self-contained, pressure-measuring, multi-sensory, instant, audible feedback training footballs on the market. They have been used by NFL Hall of Fame players, NFL coaches, collegiate All-Americans, and players at all levels. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can actually receive a 10% discount on any products purchased from High and Tight by using the discount link below in the description and by using the discount code ACP. Make sure you type in ACP at checkout to get a 10% discount on any items purchased from highandtight.com channel. Um, I've been uh, doing a little research and watching a couple videos. I think I really especially liked your video about bringing swag to the offensive line. Uh, So I I liked that one. And um, what I really wanted to know was uh, because, you know, a little background, I started this, uh, I started a YouTube channel a long time ago because I thought I knew stuff Um, and I thought I would be able to share it with people. But I started this podcast because the inspiration was I was really missing um, those conversations that you have in the coach's office Mm -hmm. after practice. Like I was missing those. And uh, so a lot of these are kind of like that. And I get that same kind of vibe. Um, And so that was the inspiration for me to start this podcast. But what was the inspiration for you to start your YouTube channel, specifically the offensive line stuff? Um. The inspiration for me really came, uh, I saw what Ron Mackey was doing. Ron Mackey does, you know, his simplified air, air rate stuff, Ron Mackey football. I started watching his videos, and Ron really taught me how to run the air raid. And I was sitting there, I was looking at it, and I was like, well, a YouTube channel would be fun. Mm-hmm. A YouTube channel would give me something fun, something to focus on. And then quarantine hit. And I was like, well, man, I'm really bored. I had thrown so much in my life. I told you, you know, let go right before quarantine. 
I'd thrown so much in my life where like every day I got up and was doing something for Chatham football, whether it was planning, whether it was fundraising, whether it was planning fundraisers, watching film, figuring out what plays we needed to add or take away. That's what being a head coach was crazy. It was like wake up, eat, sleep, and breathe Chatham football for four years and not take a day off. And then all of a sudden I got quarantined and I got to take days off. So I'm like, well, I got, I need an outlet to get this football stuff out. So Ron offered up a little class on like how to turn, how to start the YouTube business, how to start a YouTube program. And so I jumped in on it and, you know, it was interesting watching the stuff he does. And he's like, yeah, I do all my filming with my um, iPhone. I was like, what? You know, I started hearing just how easy, cause I thought it would, I thought I'm going to have to dump in hundreds of dollars into equipment and I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to start anything. So I said, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. Um, I think the other thing that motivated me, we had right before quarantine, I did a coaching clinic, an in-person coaching clinic at uh, LC Bird High School in Richmond, Virginia. And I enjoyed the heck out of that. And then I took that same clinic and I did it. Football Stoop did their like, online coaches clinics i did one of those with the same clinic i was like man this is fun i think i could do this i think i could get up and talk about football um where the offensive line came into play so the whole time i'm getting ready to go to alta vista uh, my head coach andy cox you know he's like a mentor he's like a friend you know i looked up to andy a lot and uh, i'm talking to andy about it and andy could have been very dismissive of it that's one of the things i talked about with ron in our class is uh ron said one of the things that motivated him to change schools actually was his head coach was very dismissive about his youtube channel you know you think you know everything da, 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 da. And ron's got like eighteen thousand subscribers right now i mean he's like sought after for the air raid stuff and um andy was very encur andy encouraged it um, he said, the one big thing he pushed me is like, you got to find a niche. You got to find a niche. And that was the one other thing that Ron said was you got to find a niche. And Andy goes, your niche should be offensive line. I was like, why, why offensive line? I don't know if I can get up there and talk about it that long. And he's like, no, you got to break down the details. So I filmed the first couple videos I filmed. The first video I filmed was basically taking my, uh, combining the air raid, my simplified run game where I do one blocking system with my inside veer and talked about that. And then I started breaking down the wing T offense. And, you know, I ran the, I ran the I formation, but we ran wing T plays. So I started doing research on the wing T and it was fun. It was similar stuff to uh, what Joe Daniel does where he'll deep dive into an offensive playbook or a defensive playbook. And I enjoyed that. Um, Andy just sits me down one day after workouts. He goes, you got to be deeper. He goes, you're not, you're not, you're not getting into the details enough. So, you know, and I was like, what do you mean? And he started explaining stuff to me. He's like, you gotta, you just gotta assume people need to learn like everything, man, by like talking about the steps and everything. So it's kind of wild now. I never would have thought a couple months ago, our current series we're going over is breaking down the pull. Is breaking down just how we teach the pull block. And so I brought it down to how we teach the pull block when we're blocking a defensive tackle, how we teach the pull block when we're going on a defensive end, how we teach the pull block when we're pulling around for guard ISO. 
And, you know, those are three different videos because you have to teach the footwork. You have to teach how you're trapping the guy. You have to teach how you're, you know, what am I doing with the backside guard versus center? How does that rub look when we're going off of it? And, you know, when you get down into the nitty-gritty details of it, it's a really fun position to get into a video about. Because I can sit down and I can talk about it, and when I break it down, I can break it down to a ch- I break it down to sizable chunks. Um, but it's really fun stuff to get into. Yeah, and they're great videos. So um, I I was watching a couple of them today. I, I I can't remember which one. I was watching one of those pull videos today um, while I was trying to get my daughter to go to sleep, but. Um, that's why I can't remember the name of it. Cause I was focused, trying to focus on too many things all at once. Uh, but they're great videos coach. And I really, I really appreciate them. And um, yeah, those guys that you mentioned, you know, Joe Daniel, Ron Mackey, those are all guys that I follow too. So we have kind of similar uh, influences there. And um, yeah, you're lucky that you have a coach that really supports uh, what you're doing. And um, thank goodness I do too. Cause my coach could easily be dismissive of what I'm doing, but he's oh, totally supportive. Uh, he, I actually had him on, uh, for one episode and, um, might have him on again, uh, coming up soon, but yeah, he been really good, been really into it. So I know exactly what you're talking about because it would be a lot harder if I had to hide everything that I was doing. Oh, you know? for sure. Cause I, there's definitely times where, um, I'll be sitting there thinking, should I really say this? You know, like, cause, cause I, I know my head coach is going to listen to it. And I was like, should I really say this? Or, you know, is he okay with me being very open? And he, thank thankfully he's been very okay and very supportive of me being open with my ideas because uh, there are definite things that he and I disagree about. <laughs> and, and we had a conversation about that on our, uh, on our episode of the podcast. So I know where that's coming from. But um, the next question that I had for you was uh, you're, you're, you said you're 29 mm-hmm. and I'm 28. We're not that well, we're not old. I feel yeah. old. I feel old. Um, I, I, I was thinking about this the other day as like, I feel like I'm on the verge of like at the moment I'm at that age where uh, older coaches are like, Oh, you're, you're still a young pup. You've got time Just shut up and to keep doing your thing to where eventually I'm going to reach that age where the young kids say, well, you don't know anything. You're old, <laughs> you know? And, um, I don't know if there's any like real in between there. And I do feel frustrated sometimes as a young coach. Cause I feel like a lot of the older coaches don't listen to you mm-hmm. uh, because you are younger. And so they're like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about yet. Right. You haven't had enough experience. Um, but then at the same time I look and the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame is the exact same age as I am. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I know he played at Notre Dame and he's got connections but he's the freaking offensive coordinator at a D one, a, a number two ranked D one school. And they're doing pretty good darn good. Mm-hmm. And nobody can listen to me because I'm 28 years old. <laughs> so I know how that feels, but um, the quite it's a really long winding way to get to this question. Sorry about that coach. But um, what tips and advice would you have? I mean, you have a lot of experience as a head coach. What tips and advice would you have and would you give to younger coaches, specifically young O-line coaches who are just getting started? I think the big thing for younger coaches, I think you've got to get out of your comfort zone. You have to do stuff that makes you uncomfortable and makes you grow. Um, I think what you were saying, it kind of 
you get to a certain point where you get frustrated with older coaches might say, you're, you're too young, you don't really know anything. And it's easy to get frustrated there. I think for me, I look back at things I regret from when I was younger because, you know, I'm still young. We're still young, but I'm in my going into my 11th season coaching. So that's kind of wild at 29 years old. But stuff that I looked at when I was younger, I applied for a head coaching job when I was 23 and I was a JV defensive coordinator. You know, I applied for another – I got one when I was 24 and I was a JV defensive coordinator. I thought I knew everything, and I wasn't willing to go out and get outside of my comfort zone to learn it. Um, one of the guys who I looked to as a big influence when I was a head coach, I talk about this in a newsletter I sent out to guys. I talk about um, one of the big things is search out the best people. Search out the best people to learn from. One of the biggest influences I have as a head coach, I've never coached for. I never played for. Uh, it's a guy named Billy Mills, who's at Dinwiddie High School. Billy operates his program like a small college program. I went and interviewed with Billy back in 2014, and it was an eight-hour interview because he wanted to show me what a day in his life was like. So I come in in my shirt and tie. I didn't realize the interview, we were going through workouts. So I sweated through my shirt and tie while he did a three-hour workout session with his varsity then took me through a sit-down interview with him and a sit-down interview with the principal, a sit-down interview at school board office, and then back over, took me out to lunch. We went through – I was there for eight hours. Yeah, you know, I think I got there at seven. I left at three. And uh, I just soaked up everything that man was doing in his football program because Billy does everything the right way, in my opinion when it comes to getting kids, when it comes to making sure the kids are taken care of. He was sitting there seven, eight, uh, 8 a.m. workouts. Well, he had quarterback school before his 8 a.m. workouts where they'd have to come in at like 6.30 in the morning. And the kids would have to say if they ate breakfast or not. If they didn't eat breakfast, they were immediately thrown into a room where they had to go eat their sandwich because he had a sandwich for them. You know, you're not going to live without getting something to eat. And he fundraised for that type of stuff to be able to provide that you know, the best equipment, the best everything, you know, constant competition. Um, so I came back to – I sought out Billy when I became a head coach to learn from him, and I learned different stuff. Um, the other thing for young coaches is uh, don't get pigeonholed. Don't get pigeonholed into something. Don't get pigeonholed into philosophies. You know, when I came up and became a head coach, I was pigeonholed in I'm going to be a 4-3 defensive guy. I love the 4-3. That's what we were going to run was the 4-3. You know, that's what I believed in when, even when I was a JV coach. I, I ran the 4-3. Had to adjust to your athletes. Um, when I – offensively, I wanted to run the ball. I wanted to establish the run. You know, big thing, run, 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 run. I get to chat and we got weak offensive linemen. Um, we're playing in a tough physical district. And all of our kids like to go out and throw the ball, but none of them really want to run. I got to give them to weightlift, and somehow I got to give them to workouts. So I took a Billy Mills thing. He said we ran the spread until we got strong enough to be able to run other things. And then we just got really good at running the spread. So I was like, okay, we're going to run the spread. So I started running the air raid and just soaked in. You know, I'm not an air raid guy. When we were at Buckingham, it was very rare for us. We had a really good quarterback my first two years coaching. But then after that, it was rare we would get more than 40 passes off in a season. And, you know, and then 
I started soaking up Mike Leach and Hal Mummy and all that stuff. And Roger Ron Mackey, and I get into that type of stuff. I'm like, okay, this is cool. Be willing to adapt, be willing to learn. Um, I mentioned Andy Cox. Andy's a great guy. Um, he researches, he'll get these weird books, like these weird books and just offenses that he has no intention of running, but he'll sit there and study them. Uh, he's, he's read the read the book on the uh, Delaware Wing T. I talked about him in one of the videos where I pushed the original the original book on the Delaware Wing T. He has that sitting on his bookshelf at home. Um, he has the original book on defense on you know the book on defense how to defeat the double wing. You know these rare football books, and he'll sit there and study them. And I found that fascinating. So you know, so I got really in air raid for me became like a hobby that turned into something that helped on the football field. So I just suggest you always grow. Um, number one, see, got the best people. Number two, always try to grow, you know, always try to grow. And number three, be basically get out of your comfort zone position wise. What did the air raid force me to do? I was an offensive lineman. I, you know, when I was at Buckingham, our passes were called like 82, 83, 81, whatever. I'd go over to our offensive coordinator, what you call 81. What's that? I didn't care. I didn't know. And I'd get to uh, Chatham. I'd feel ashamed to say this as a head coach, but my first year when I was coaching defense, our passes were colors. Um, our offensive coordinator came in and one our passes were colors. Okay, what'd you call red? What the heck's red, Seth? What did you call? So, you know, I had to teach myself when I'm going into the air raid all this stuff about receiver play and all this stuff about defensive back play transversely and all this stuff about quarterback play and how we're going to do this and how we're going to read and who we're going to pick on, you know, because where are the weaknesses in this defense? So that's where I got out of my comfort zone, and I think it made me a much better football coach. Um, right now the big thing I'm interested in is we're teaching true inside zone. Instead of like what I basically called a Chatham, people called said I ran a bastardized version of zone by leaving the play side end unblocked. Now we're leaving the backside end unblocked, and I'm having to teach the footwork for that, and I love it because we can do so much with it. Um, and I think that just get out of your comfort zone, search the best people to learn from. You know, don't be afraid to try something new. Yeah, those are great. Sorry, I couldn't reach my uh, unmute button. <laughs> uh, yeah, those those are great tips, Coach. Um, I agree with all of those, and uh, I like I really especially like the don't get pigeonholed uh, because yeah. I a lot of people, even my own head coach, they they all think, oh, if you ever become a head coach or an offensive coordinator, you're obviously going to be running the wing tee. No, not necessarily. <laughs> like, yes, I love the wing tee offense. I love the philosophy of the wing tee. Hmm. That doesn't mean I'm going to line up in the old school wing tee the first game that, that I'm an offensive coordinator. That's not what's going to happen, right? I'm the I'm the kind of guy I start researching offenses, and the and like I'm right in the middle of researching it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I'm going to run. And then I'll start researching something else. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm going to run that. You know, like I love I love air raid. I love wing T. I love power. I love all offenses. Mm -hmm. I would have a very difficult time trying to decide which one I really want to do. And, um, and that's the other thing too. I think what's cool about the wing T because I say this being a guy 
I despised the wing tee for years. And it was actually kind of funny. I'd put a poll out, and that's how I had to go over the wing tee offense. Um, the wing tee, the well, funny thing is when Chatham replaced me, they replaced me with a wing tee coach. So I was like, oh, this will be funny. You know, oh, and this ironic. I have to do this. That was fun. That wing tee deep dive was fun. And it, what's amazing is because I go in and I did a video on how you can spice up your offenses with a wing tee principles. And people don't understand that. They're running wing tee principles. Guys on Saturdays and Sundays are running wing tee principles. And they're just taking and applying it to their offense. They're not running your true traditional wing tee, which I still think has its place. But they're running wing tee principles. And that's what I think is cool about offenses. You can take and sort of blend stuff together to make your offense. And with wing tee, especially what I like about it, this is what we're trying to develop in our run game is, you know, wing tee had its rules. If this happens on this play, this is what I need to run next. Mm-hmm. And I think every offensive coordinator is looking for sort of that cheat sheet like the wing tee has where like, and that's if you get talking to those wing T gurus, they can tell you, okay, if the linebacker made the tackle on this play, this is what you hit, need to hit them with. I'm like, you're so that is the exact type of offense you want. Yeah, it it, it has built-in answers. That's mm-hmm. one of the reasons it's so attractive. Um, it's series based, and each series has built-in answers based on what the defense does. And you don't have to run the actual wing T to have your offense have built-in answers. So yeah. you're just kind of co- – like you just said, you're just copying the principle. You're copying the philosophy. I know Ron Mackey did a, a video series about it, like wing tee principles in the spread offense. And he mm-hmm. waxed in, on it uh, eloquently <laughs> about how I really hate the wing tee, but I love the philosophy behind it and how it has answers and um, how, you know, it's series-based. You know, you have – couple plays that all look the same at the first snap but then you know that guy's running that way or it's a screen the other way it's I love the philosophy and I could probably talk about it too much is that's that's a problem um so it's it's been almost an hour I don't want to keep you up too not too late tonight coach um I I do want to go over uh at least one more question here uh this is one that I've been bringing up to a lot of the coaches towards the end of our podcast is what are some things, um, you know, we're, we're all football junkies. We're doing social media. We're doing podcasts and YouTube channels with football. What are some other things that you like to do that aren't football related? Like what are interests do you have? Do you have like movies, books? What are your hobbies besides football? Uh, If you had asked me that a couple years ago, I probably would have been stumped. Um, But quarantine has been very good to develop hobbies outside of football, especially when you can't watch sports. Um, The biggest hobby I have that keeps me busy is I have a two-year-old son who I live down here and he splits time between me and his mom. And, you know, but I get, when I'm with him, I had him last night and, you know, it's whatever he wants to do. I think last night we watched, uh, I introduced him to Mickey Mouse Christmas and Winnie the Pooh Christmas, and we're trying to get in on the Christmas theme here. Um, he's starting to talk now, and he, whenever I'll have – if I have him on Sunday or Saturday, if I have a football game on for five minutes, he'll look at me and say, Dad, Dad, no watch football. No watch football. I'm like, I never watch football with you. You can't give me five minutes. If, if Sports Center's on and they show football, Dad, Dad, no watch football. Okay. Okay. My bad, buddy. 
Um, so it's kind of, he's the number one priority. The other things I do with my free time, um, gotten back into working out. Thank goodness COVID's over and I can get back in the gym. Um, that's fun. Getting, you know, just going back in and lifting heavy again is fun. Um, I'm probably lifting more now than I ever did when I was in school. Like I said, I was a little small offensive lineman. I'm a bit bigger now, so I can lift a little bit more weight. Um, and then the biggest thing that's new is uh, cooking. So cooking has actually been kind of fun. I've gotten into different recipes. It started out with crock pot recipes and trying to figure out, you know, all the different stuff I can make in a crock pot. Then it was, you know, okay, let's expand this out a little bit. I'm unsure what the best thing I've made is. I still think my scrambled eggs are pretty good because I sort of ripped off what Gordon Ramsay does and just his technique for how he cooks them, taking them on and off heat. So I like that. But I'll make some mean crock pot meals and throw those in and enjoy those and uh, just different re- dive into different recipes and stuff and weird stuff. Um, my family still isn't brave. My family lives two hours away, still isn't brave enough yet to let me pull stuff out. I think it's because I called them up and I go, hey, I made this uh, cauliflower mac and cheese. It's just to die for. And they go, no, no, we're cauliflower. Ugh, no. I'm like, well, y'all missing it. I'm bad. <laughs> yeah, I um that kind of sounds like me a little bit. I used to, uh, I used to be on the keto diet mm-hmm. for a while. And so I didn't eat pizza normally or anything like that. I didn't eat mac and cheese. So I made cauliflower mac and cheese. I made uh, cauliflower crust pizza. Um, I, dang, I ate a lot of cauliflower when I was doing oh, yeah. that. Cauliflower. Cause I did keto for a little bit too. I'll tell you though, I'm a P I love pizza. Mm-hmm. So I got to the point where I was like, man, I need pizza. I got this recipe. Oh, I have no idea how this could qualify as healthy, but I took rotisserie chicken, ground it down, and basically made it the pizza crust. And then you topped that with the barbecue sauce and the cheese. Mm. And there's your chicken barbecue pizza. And I was like, the crust is chicken. <laughs> it just blew my mind. And I was like, ugh, weird. Yeah, I would uh I would end up eating half the pizza when I would make the cauliflower pizza, and my wife would be like, Good Lord, how many slices are you going to eat? And I'm like, Heather, be, it, it, it's cauliflower. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. just, yeah. it, like, how can you get mad at me for eating cauliflower? <laughs> oh, I was doing the uh, fitness, I do the Fitness Pal app now to uh, track calories and all that. And I got a cup of roast, ca- I roasted some cauliflower. And I'm eating off of that with my meals this week. I put in a cup of that and said 15 calories. I said, I said, I could, you're telling me I could just shovel in cauliflower all day and it's never going to register? Yep. That and broccoli, uh, green beans is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, all that stuff. But I got, out, I got out of keto. I started gaining a little bit of weight back that I had lost. And so I had to try something different. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of intermittent fasting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Basically, for the listeners who don't know what intermittent fasting is, you have a certain window of time during your day that you eat, which is called your eating window. And so my eating window usually on a normal day is from 9 a.m. till about 5 p.m. in the afternoon. And then after that, the only thing that goes in my body is water or coffee. Um, And so what it really does, it limits the amount of calories you have throughout the day. Uh, basically. And if you work out, I try to go for at least a walk every day in my, fa- my fasting period, because it's supposed to burn fat instead of 
uh, normal calories. At least that's the what the science is supposed to say, but who really knows anymore? Um, it just works for my schedule because I teach early in the morning. And so I'm fasting and I'm, while I'm teaching, I'm not really paying attention to the fact that I'm hungry. Uh, so it works for me. So I know how, uh, I've, I've been really getting into reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried to stop playing so many video games. Uh, I th- there's only so much, uh, NCAA 14 that you can play on an old PS3 before it breaks down. Oh Yeah. <laughs> If I still had the NCAA, my NCAA 14 ended up breaking on me early in quarantine. Otherwise, I'd be stuck on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, we all have to find different things. And I think it's going to be interesting when when we finally go back in February, if we go back. Uh, We'll see, I hope. Fingers crossed. Oh, Uh, man. I couldn't imagine a whole year without football. I know. It's been a long time. Well, Coach – is there a way that uh, the listeners could contact you if they have any questions, uh, maybe like a Twitter or uh, Facebook or anything like that? Uh, big, the easiest way to contact me is Twitter. It's at football underscore Allen on Twitter. And then um, on Facebook, we actually have a Big Rule the World page on Facebook. I've had some people hop in on there. And I post my videos up on Facebook. Uh, YouTube's easy, Big Rule the World, offensive line play. Um, if you go to the Big Drew World Offensive Line Play, it has my email. It also has where you have a newsletter sign up. So we're doing a free weekly newsletter for offensive line enthusiasts. And that way, you you know, that sounds weird. But, hey, man, just like I always say, you got to win in the trenches. And to do that, you got to know the Big Drew of the World. Mm-hmm. Well, coaches, I'll make sure that the uh, there's a link to uh, Coach Allen's YouTube channel. Uh, in the description below. And I'm definitely going to be signing up for that newsletter sometime soon, coach. I appreciate it. Well, coach, I appreciate you coming on uh, last time. Thank you. Thanks, coach. All right. This has been the Armchair Coaching Podcast, and this is Coach Sheffer signing off.